Hey, welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus. And in today's video, we're going to be looking at a tale of two sacrifices. Welcome back. Uh, if you're new with us, my name is Lucas. I'm one of the pastors here at Evangel Church. We are a church located in Powell River, British Columbia, Canada. And so if you are watching from outside of the region, you're so welcome here. We're so glad that you're with us. Uh, if you're in the region, we'd love to invite you to come to an in-person gathering of our church. Uh, we meet every Sunday at 10 o'clock a.m. That'd be like the best introduction to us and would love to meet you, love to have you. Uh, but in the meantime, we're so glad that you're here with us online. So before we jump in today, I do wanna say a couple things because there's been a few things on my heart lately. Uh, some of you, you're watching because this is just convenient, and this is easy for you, and we're just so glad that you're here. This is probably maybe a first step for you in terms of exploring faith or exploring the church. Uh, so you're so welcome. Uh, but others of you, uh, you're the ones on my heart because you do not have the ability to come to a gathering in this season because of the complexities of your health, as well as um, just the complexities of gathered people right now. And so I just want to let you know that you've been heavy on my heart. Um, I've had some interactions with some of you. And there's like a, a sense of empathy growing in me as I kind of consider the sacrifices that you're making. Um, you are, you, you're worshiping Jesus, you're living a life in pursuit of Him, and that is so beautiful, but it can be so hard when you feel like you're doing it alone. So I want to just remind you this morning that you are a part of our family. You are not alone, and we are thinking of you, we're praying for you, and we miss you. We miss seeing your faces in our gathering, and we understand and we get it, but, but we also are growing in our understanding of what that means for you, the, the, the sacrifices that you're making. And so I just want to say to you, like, I really feel that God has a, if you seek Him, He has such a special grace for you in this season to sustain you, to uphold you, to uplift you, and just know that we are thinking and we're praying for you and we miss you desperately. So with that said, let's jump into our content today. Uh, a Tale of Two Sacrifices is the title of this sermon. You're going to kind of see why, because we're going to see two parallel stories that actually go to different places. They have different outcomes. Now, these are stories both of sacrifice. Now, one is of self-sacrifice, and you're going to see the other is about the sacrifice of another. Uh, these accounts both uh, involve uh, monetary value, and you're going to kind of see that play out as well. And one of them, we celebrate, and the other, we actually despise in a way. And so let's jump into our content. If you have a Bible, please turn with me to John chapter 12. We're going to be starting verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, visit myevangel.church forward slash Bible. And there's ways of getting a Bible, even right now on your phone or device or your computer, so you can follow along with us. So John chapter 12, verse 1, six days 
Before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. If you missed uh, kind of the... <laughs> The climax of the story was last the last two weeks, Pastor Lisa led us through the resurrection of Lazarus, Jesus revealing himself as the resurrection and the life. And so this is preceding that moment now. It's six days before the Passover. But here's what's going on. There is a climate that Jesus is entering here that is, that is heavy. There's a wrestling. There's a tension. We know that the Jews, the Jewish authorities and leaders, uh, a warrant for Jesus' arrest. And so there's this kind of climate and this tension that Jesus is walking into. Now, to understand what's going on here, uh, Passover is coming up. And so good Jews would go to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And so Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. So he's in Bethany. It's six days before the Passover. And Bethany is about two miles away from Jerusalem. So I want you to consider the climate. There's a warrant out for Jesus' arrest. Jesus is now at a dinner party two miles away from the epicenter of his enemies, those that want him dead. And so here's the climate. There's a heaviness to this. This isn't like uh, visits before when Jesus came and just taught and there was celebration and there was fun and there's all these things going. There, there's this climate of heaviness. There's this tension. There's this pursuit of what Jesus is now entering into, which is going to lead him ultimately to his death. And he's very aware of it. I want you to think about what's going on here. Despite the climate, Jesus goes to this dinner party located in Bethany. And, and, and we know that Jesus was affected by the stress of this. We know that he was wrestling through the tension of what he was about to uh, walk into in terms of going to the cross. And yet, before we get to our head of ourselves in the story here, we need to acknowledge what Jesus is doing here. He's going and sitting down with his friends. He's, he's seeking comfort in friendship. And it, and it begs the question, when, when, when life is not safe, when, when pain enters, when suffering is before you or on the horizon, ha have you fostered the kinds of friendships where you can go and you can find comfort and empathy despite what you're going through. Now, I'm horrible at friendships. I'm, I'll be the first to admit it. I am horrible at friendships. I'm the type of personality where I don't need a lot of friends. Uh, just one or two is fine. Like, that's all I need. And even with just one or two, I am horrible at making investment and being intentional about my friendships. And, and I'm reminded in this moment in John that, that even Jesus, who had you know this beautiful relationship with his father, who had this relationship with the Spirit, he's part of this Trinitarian, perfect, united relationship together as one. Yet even Jesus himself found solace and comfort at this dinner with his friends. Um, this is such a beautiful moment. Don't neglect your friendships. When it comes to living out this life, when it comes to walking through the suffering and the pain that life inevitably brings to our doorstep, there's something powerful about the solace and the comfort of friendship that spurs us on, that keeps us going. You weren't meant to do this alone. So make friendship a priority.
Now that's a bit of an aside, that's not the main drive of what we're doing today, but I just felt it was really important to kind of acknowledge what's happening here. Verse three, Mary therefore. Mary therefore, what, what a strange way to kind of introduce this moment. You know, Martha is serving, it says Martha is serving. Uh, Lazarus, her brother, is reclining at the table. Mary therefore. In other words, another way to say that would be because of this, Mary dot, dot, dot. Now, for the life of me, I couldn't find much in terms of explanation to why the sentence is structured in this way, that, that this moment is introduced to us by John in this way. But, but I have a bit of a thought. I have a theory, if you will. So, so bear with me. You know, Martha, she had a purpose. It kind of fit her natural gifting. You, you, do you remember the last time we were introduced to Martha? Like the first time we were introduced to Martha? What was Martha doing? She was busy preparing dinner. She was busy serving and prepping. And she actually got angry because Mary was doing what? She was sitting at Jesus' feet listening to the teacher. And so Martha was kind of operating. She's operating in this natural gifting of service. And so even now in this moment, we see Martha in her expression of worship, as it were, uh, to her Savior as she serves those that are gathered with Jesus in this moment. Now, now Lazarus, her brother, Mary's brother, he's at the table. He's reclining as a guest at the table. He's kind of this living proof of the power and the authority of God because now that he's been resurrected by Jesus, he kind of is, is a guest and a friend at the table, but he's serving a purpose as a witness, as a testimony of the resurrection power of Jesus. And perhaps in this moment, excuse me, perhaps in this moment, Mary is discovering what her purpose is. You know, seeing everyone in their place, seeing everybody operating in kind of the, the moment of gifting and service to the king. And perhaps she's kind of flashing back on her own interactions with Jesus. You know, Luke 10, 39 says, And she had a sister called Mary, who what? Sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Uh, John eleven thirty two, 32, the, the first part of that. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, remember, this is after Lazarus had died, she fell at his feet. This is the story of a disciple, one, one who sat at the feet of Jesus, learning from him. Uh, one who fell in her moment of desperation before the feet of Jesus. And now we kind of see with her brother alive, with Martha serving, with all these dynamics happening, she's discovering her place. She's looking back over the course of this relationship she's had with Jesus and she's discovering this kind of place. And so she falls at Jesus' feet. And we have this beautiful moment. And I think that Mary, I think in this moment, remember we said that things are a little heavy here for Jesus. And, you know, when you're surrounded by a bunch of dudes, uh, dudes aren't always very intuition orientated in terms of EQ, emotional quotient, uh, understanding the empathy and the emotional climate of a situation or a person. And, and then I think in this moment, Mary has this intuition that only a woman can kind of have. And she kind of sees the atmosphere. 
She feels the atmosphere around Jesus being different. And I love what she kind of empathetically does in this moment. Let's, let's, let's look at it. Verse 3. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, you need to understand some cultural nuance here to kind of put two and two together to understand the implications of what is happening here. Uh, in the first century, uh, the only uh, people, women you would see with their hair down were young girls. As soon as, as soon as a woman was married or kind of had come of age, that would be the last time you would ever see them in public with their hair down. It was proper to have your hair up at all times when in the public eye. So when you marry kind of that with the extravagant gift of this ointment, you begin to see the, the, the extravagance, the um, just being lost in the moment that Mary is. She's, she's fallen at the feet of her Savior. She's poured out this valuable perfume as an anointing upon Jesus' feet. And she's washing his feet with her un, um, unbound hair. And so there's this beautiful moment, a worshiper lost in the worship of their Lord, completely all in in the moment. And Mary in this moment had found her place and purpose in this life. In this moment, she's teaching us that the very foundations of all that we do are worship. The very foundation of all that we do in terms of our purpose, is worship. You know, there was a time in my life when I did a job that I didn't really love at all. I hated it. I hated going to work. I was working in a sawmill in Winnipeg, uh, sorting lumber that was coming out of the sash gang saw. And so it was just raw, big slabs of lumber and sorting it. And it was just brutal work. It was, it was brutal in the summertime when it was hot. And it was even worse in the wintertime when it was like minus 40 outside. And it was shift work. I was making like $8, just over $8 an hour. Like, like I was making nothing in terms of kind of the work and the output and what it, what it all entailed on the body and the mind. I was doing shift work. And so it was like two weeks days and two weeks nights and two weeks graveyard. And it would just cycle like that. And so once you got used to one shift, you're switching to another. And it was just horrible, grueling, hard on the body, hard on the mind hard on just even sleeping and the emotions. And I remember one day I came home from a graveyard shift and I was so raw in my emotions because I kind of lost sight of just the monotony of it all had kind of caught up to me. And I remember kind of having a bit of an emotional breakdown and my mom happened to be there. And, and it was interesting because instead of kind of coddling me in that moment, I remember that she kind of brought a shift to my perspective. You know, what I, what I wanted her to say was, you know what, you should, think, you should just quit then, right? Like what I wanted her to say was kind of to affirm my feelings in that moment. And instead, what she said to me is, you need to remember why you're doing this. You need to remember that this is a means to an end. And now to give some context, I was saving up. I was feeling a call to ministry. I knew that I needed to go get educated and get educated. So I was saving up so I could go to Bible college. And so this job, and she reminded me that this is a means to an end, that this was in fact my act of worship. And that moment, it shifted my perspective. All of a sudden going to that stupid job 
that I hated was now an act of worship. I, it shifted my perspective that this is now a means to an end. This was my pathway to getting to that place of obedience and following what I was feeling God was calling me to. And when we see worship of Jesus as foundational to everything we do, it shifts everything. Worship of Jesus is what we build everything else on. Excellence in our work, right? Do it as unto the Lord. Worship. The foundation is worship, acts of worship. When you do these things to the least of these, you do it to me. You, these things, even our giving, our, our generosity, acts of worship, as we serve humanity around us, we need to stop thinking about how we're simply serving those. We're also serving in extension Jesus. It's our act of worship. Our place in all we do is at the feet of Jesus in worship. And I love how Mary absolutely paints this beautiful picture of what life is all about. And I love the double meaning found in the, the closing description here. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, John 12, 3. And, and, and acts of worship like this, they, they can't be ignored. You know, Martha, who had been probably in the other room serving and prepping and getting ready for the meal and doing dishes, doing whatever she was doing to serve, uh, she would have began to smell the fragrance of this act being played out. You know, those at the table who maybe weren't paying attention or kind of observing what's going on, the moment that, that thing, that jar was open, they would begin to look around because this fragrance was now filling the room. When, when, when I think back to my time at the sawmill, um, after that perspective shift, after I began to uh, go to work with a different mindset. I remember that, that, that Christ and the Spirit opened up opportunities for me. I, I didn't always seek them out, but all of a sudden, opportunities to um, model Christianity, model my, my life of service to, to God, be, began to become more and more available and apparent. You know, it, it started a little bit hinky. It started a little bit rough, not going to lie. There was moments when my position on, on Jesus and my Christian faith was persecuted and made fun of. And, but as I stuck with it, as I modeled and walked this life out, all of a sudden things began to shift with my coworkers. I had married guys telling me and pouring their hearts out about their marital problems. And I had single guy. I remember one, one day, one of the single guys came up to me super proud because he had been on a date the night before. And and this girl had invited him up to her place and he declined uh, the invitation. And he said, I, I wasn't interested in just a one night stand. I want to make something um, more sustainable, something that's going to be more beautiful and long term. And he's super proud of that. And he knew that I would be so excited for his decision because of uh, kind of where my moral compass was at. And there was just opportunity to pray for guys that were sick and just... Just crazy opportunities came as I shifted my perspective of why I was there. And that simple perspective shift, when, when I began to see this stupid job as an opportunity to worship my king, it shifted everything. And like Mary, your attitude and your perspective of worship is like an aroma that just can't be ignored. But, but acts of worship like this can also be very polarizing. You know, like all beautiful things in life, there's always a Karen who wants to kind of speak to the manager. So verse four, but Judas Iscariot, 
One of his disciples, who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Now, I, I told you that today would be a tale of uh, two sacrifices. And here we learn that the nard that Mary, this, this ointment that Mary had poured out on Jesus' feet was worth about 300 denarii. Now, to put that into perspective, that was about a year's worth of wages. So I want you to, you know, apply inflation. Think of, uh, think of your annual salary and they'll then go, you're going you're gonna to spend that on one thing, this, this nard, this ointment. And so this is significant. The, 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 this gift and this act of worship by Mary is very, very significant, not just in terms of the value, the monetary value, but, but her act of not even caring what people thought in terms of letting down her hair and washing Jesus' feet and the humility and just everything about it was so significant. And yet Judas sees this act. And instead of seeing, like Mary saw, Jesus is worthy of this act, he didn't see Jesus as worthy of this act because his heart had been captured by something else. Judas tried his best to come across as empathetic to the poor and the destitute, but John reveals in this moment his true motivations. He was embezzling funds from the ministry of Jesus. Now, before we just you know, ignore Judas as, as a cautionary tale for ourselves, I want you to consider something. Um, I want you to consider the fact that G Judas didn't just go to church. Like he lived and breathed church with Jesus as his pastor every single day for three and a half years. He sat under Jesus' teaching. He witnessed Jesus' miracles. He witnessed Jesus revealing himself through these I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the resurrection and the life. And we're seeing this kind of progression of the revelation of Jesus. And yet Judas in this moment does not see Jesus as worthy of this monetary sacrifice because his heart has been captured by something else. He must have been good at finances. I mean, you had Matthew on the roster. I mean, Jesus could have had Matthew, who's an ex-tax collector, uh, do the money bag. So Judas obviously had some gifting in terms of the monetary accounting of, of this kind of enterprise they had going. But so Judas gets the accounting gig. And, and yet where Mary's heart is captured by Christ, Judas' heart is, is captured by the money bag. And both of these paths, they lead to sacrifice. Worship always leads to sacrifice. Mary, to this moment of giving of the oil and her dignity, a self-sacrificing act of worship. And Judas, the progression would lead him to a different kind of sacrifice. It, it wouldn't be long before Judas would, would make a sacrifice of his own. It wouldn't be self-sacrificing, but rather the betrayal and the sacrifice of his Lord. Why? Because money had captured his heart. And so we know the story goes on to this place where Judas sacrifices Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And I want you to notice something. This wasn't just like a one-time moment. It wasn't this like kind of this one-time moment of weakness for Judas where the enemy came in and forced him to do something that he didn't want to do. This was a progression. We see that Judas' life during this time and season where there's this progression where his eyes are being turned away from Jesus 
and towards his heart is being captured by this money bag. It's being captured by material things. And so there's this progression that finally leads him to this final act of betraying his savior for 30 pieces of silver. And this story begs the question, who or what do you worship? Who or what do you worship? Let me ask it in a different way. Who or what has captured your heart? Jesus says it this way. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own mother and father and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That's, that's found in Luke 14, 26. Now, does, does Jesus mean that, that you should hate? No, of, of course, that's not what he's saying. He's using hyperbole to make a point here. Jesus first in all things and all relationships. That is the way of a worshiper. That is the way that leads to life. That is the way of a disciple. We all live lives of worship. Everyone we have ever met or will ever know leads a life of worship. The kicker is only one object of our worship is going to lead to eternal life. All the rest lead to death. And that's why Jesus is so, so emphatic about this hyperbole he uses. That he must be first in terms of the foundations of our expression of worship in this world. I want to finish with the tragedy of Judah's story in the Gospels. Matthew records this event in, in Matthew 27, 3 to 5. Then, when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. You know, the end of the story for Judas, it grieves me. You know, his, his repentance, instead of leading him to hope, instead of leading him to Jesus, it, it led him to hopelessness. He had missed, he had sat under Jesus' teaching for three and a half years, and yet he missed the message of the gospel. He repented, but then the grief overwhelmed him to the point of taking his own life. And perhaps you and the Holy Spirit are coming to some conclusions about who or what has captured your heart, about who or what you worship in this life. And you know that you need to walk in repentance, but Learn from Judas' mistake in this moment. Repentance doesn't lead to condemnation and grief. Repentance and turning back to Jesus leads us to forgiveness and freedom. And that's why Jesus is so worthy of your extravagant all-in worship. This tale of two sacrifices is divergent in nature. It leads us to this evaluation. It leads us to these moments where we ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and to search our lives and to reveal any counterfeit objects or people that we are worshiping, any idols that have captured our hearts. You know, the nature of being human is that self-sacrifice does not come naturally to us. In this broken state, in this broken perspective, Self-sacrifice does not come naturally to us, but as we worship, it leads us in sacrificing of ourselves so that we would 
adopt Jesus' gift, Jesus' life, Jesus' hope, Jesus' joy each day? Who or what has captured your heart? Lord, I just pray that in this moment that you would just, by your spirit, you would gently remind us that we were made, we were literally created and designed to be worshipers. And that the objects and the people of our worship can either bring life or they can destroy us. And Lord, we thank you that you, Father God, uh, the Holy Son, the Holy Spirit, you are worthy of our worship. Foundation to fulfillment, foundation to our design is to be worshipers of the one true God. And so, Lord, we choose in this moment to worship you. We choose in this moment to realign our lives, our priorities, our hearts towards you. Lord, would you lead us in repentance? Lord, those things that have, that have taken the place of our um, expressions of worship, the things that have superseded you in our lives, Lord. And we all are there, seasons and moments, we're all there. Lord, we repent of those things. And Lord, we turn our eyes back to you. Like Mary, we, we see those that are serving around us and, we, and, and we, we realize that we are designed to fall at your feet and to give you everything, to give you extravagantly um, out of our lives. And so God, in this moment, may we be like Mary. May we be worshipers that lead us to a path of life and not like Judas who lost the plot and it led to his demise. So Lord, would you lead us as life, as worshipers? And will we find fulfillment? May we find fulfillment in that. May we find life in that as we just realign our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being with us and taking this journey down, down the tale of, of two sacrifices. And may this just be a, a reminder of what our priorities are. What are you pursuing? What are you seeking in this life? Because if it's Jesus, you're going to find fulfillment and life and joy and peace. God bless everyone. Thanks for being with us. Well, hey friends, my name is Pastor Marcus, if you haven't met me before, and on the first Sunday of every month, we get to partake together in what's known as communion. And communion is an act that we find in the Bible of remembering what Jesus has done for us, reflecting on that incredible gift that he uh, gave to us that Jesus would be obedient unto death and uh, that he would rise again, and a moment of celebration and worship, recognizing uh, that we get to be in relationship with God through Jesus's death and resurrection, and that we get to look forward to all of the, the wonderful eternity that we get to spend with him. And you'll often hear uh, 1 Corinthians 11 being read to you as uh, what the process of doing communion. And, uh, and just before that, in the passage that's typically read, the Apostle Paul is, uh, is offering a bit of a sharp word to his original hearers, where he's saying that some people are coming uh, to take communion, so to speak, in a way that is uh, exclusive, that pushes other people out. Um, but we believe that there is a, a place at the table for all to take communion if you're believers in Jesus today. And so we see that com communion is such a great 
uh, act and, and moment of unity that we get to have as believers together. And so here at Evangel, we practice what's called open communion. So if you are a believer in Jesus, you can partake in that, uh, even if you don't call Evangel your home church necessarily. And so we really believe that this is a moment that unity gets to be seen and reflected on and also uh, reified or solidified in our lives. And what a great opportunity that we get to be in unity together today, both online as we partake together, but also as we are gonna be partaking later in our service uh, in person as well. And so today as we take communion, I want us to re reflect and remember uh, about the seat at the table that we all have through Jesus. And I think it begs the question, in our lives, are we making space at the table for others as well to be, in, to be introduced and invited into what God is doing and to also have a moment together to reflect on what he has done. And so we're gonna take a moment to gather at the table, so to speak, maybe you actually are in your home, uh, and to take communion together as we reflect on what Jesus has done. So I'm gonna read to you from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verse 23. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Well, friends, what a beautiful gift that Jesus has given us, that we get to have a seat at the table uh, that is a result of his death and his resurrection. And so as we take of the bread today, let's remember that place that he has given to us at his seat at his table. Let's take together. And then as well, uh, Jesus says that his blood is the new covenant uh, for each one of us. And that new covenant is like a new agreement that we get to have where he has bridged that gap that we were so far uh, from God and our sin and our brokenness and that he has bridged the gap so that we can have right relationship with him again. Um, and so as we partake in uh, the juice together, let's remember that incredible act that Jesus did of obedience so that we get to sit at the table with him. Well, friends, let's pray together. God, we thank you so much that you would send your son Jesus and that Jesus, you would be willing uh, from your love and your care about humanity uh, to live a life of perfect obedience and to be a perfect uh, person and, and also deity that would uh, go unto death to a cross that, is un that you are unworthy of, and yet you did it because you love us so much. And so God, I pray that as we remember that bridged gap that is made through the cross, through Jesus's death and resurrection, uh, may we recognize that there is a place at the table with you. And we thank you, God, that you have made place a place for us there as those of us who are unworthy of being in your perfect presence. And yet you uh, love us so much that you would go to the very ends to be able to allow us to sit there together. So God, we reflect on that, um, that act of Jesus, of obedience, of love, and we just remember that it is uh, for us to be bridged in that gap. And so, Lord, we, we just celebrate you today. We honor you today. And we pray, Lord, uh, that we would make space at our tables as well as you have made space at yours so that other people can know the love that you have for them. God, we love you and we thank you and we pray this in your name. Amen.